My name's Alex. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here. Um, it is a privilege to be able to have serve you guys and to just come alongside you and point you to Jesus. Uh, I'm extremely grateful. Uh, almost a little emotional. But uh, church, as you guys know, we spent four weeks uh, in a series called Work and Worship, uh, just pointing us to remember that all of our lives is worship to the Lord, to continue to serve Him and love Him in all that we do and whatever we do. So we spent four weeks doing that. But before that, we were in the book of Acts. Uh, over the last several months. And so, as Jason read, we're back in Acts chapter 8. So, if you would please open your Bibles. I just want to do a recap from Acts chapter 1 all the way to where we left off and where we're going today. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a bookcase back in the back, uh, right at the entryway, where you can grab a Bible. We paid for those so that you could have them. They're free. They're yours for the taking. Uh, so please open up your scriptures. We're going to be Acts 1, and I'm just going to do a quick recap. I'm not going to read everything, but uh, just kind of quick highlights. So chapter 1, we have Jesus with the apostles, the disciples, right? And he sends them out in verse 1-8. He says, go to the ends of the earth, proclaiming the good news of who he is. He says, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, sending them to continue to preach good news so that others would know that the risen Christ has come to save sinners. Then as they stand there, they see Jesus just kind of lifted up. He ascends into heaven. He goes, he sits at the side of the Father, and uh, he continues to just say, hey, wait, wait for a second. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and he's going to continue to empower you and equip you to continue to go and preach good news. So in Acts chapter 2, uh, we see that uh, the disciples sit, they pray, and they wait. And in verse 4, we see that the Holy Spirit rushes upon them like a, a rushing wind, like tongues of fire, and they are filled with the Spirit. So Peter stands up. He starts preaching the gospel. Thousands of people come to faith. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 come to faith just from hearing the proclamation of good news. Acts chapter 3, we then see Peter and John go to, uh, go to the temple to go worship God. And as they walk into the temple, they see a lame man, a lame beggar, sitting at the beautiful gate who's just begging for anything that he can get. They say, we don't have any money, but we've got Jesus. And so they pray over him. The Lord uh, just heals him radically. He's able to walk. He professes Christ. It's a huge celebration. More people come to faith. And then in chapter 4, uh, we see that Peter and John have to go before the Jewish council. They have to stand before them because they're preaching Christ. They're sharing good news with people. People are coming to faith, believing in who Jesus is. And, and so they have to stand and just say, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is what our whole life is marked by. They get let go from the council, and then they go. And as a family, in 432, we see believers uh, just continue to be the family that God has adopted them into, sharing everything in common with one another, continuing to just love and care for each other as the family that God has adopted them into. Then in chapter 5, we have this weird story with Ananias and Sapphira who lie to the Holy Spirit and they drop dead. Uh, and that's kind of weird, but that's okay. It's what God wrote and what God did. And then at the end, right after that, we see that the apostles are arrested once again. And as Peter stands before the Jewish council, once again, he says, hey, I'm not going to fear man. I'm not going to fear you. I'm going to continue to fear the Lord and continue to pursue Jesus and continue to preach Christ so that others would know him, so that they would have eternal life with him. And so then they get let go from that. And in Acts chapter 8, we see that the church has grown so big, right? Oh, thousands and hundreds of people are coming to faith in Christ. 
And so they're like, hey, we need more people to serve. We need more people to continue to serve the people of God. And so seven people get uh, just prayed over and sent out as kind of deacons. And Stephen is one of those people. And he's filled with the Spirit. And he's seized because he's preaching the good news. And he shares basically the entire Old Testament with the Jewish council. And he's just like, all of that points to Christ. All of that points to Jesus. And they murder him. And this guy named Saul stands by just watching, approving of Stephen's murder. And Stephen's murder leads to the scattering of the church. For the first time, people scatter in chapter 8 as Jesus has commanded them to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's the first time where people actually leave Jerusalem because they're scared that they're going to get murdered. But it leaves us with Philip, right? Philip in the beginning of chapter 8, he's also one of the seven who is selected with Stephen and he goes to this place called Samaria. That's where we left off last time when we were quarantined and we're sharing it over Zoom, which was pretty fun. But uh, in that story, we see Philip go to Samaria. He preaches the gospel. People come to faith. This guy named Simon, who's a magician, who's performing these signs and miracles, says, oh yeah, I want in. And then he tries to buy off God and buy the Holy Spirit. And Peter comes back and he's like, Mm, that's not going to happen. I'm not about that. That's not how God works. Uh, and so that's where we left off. And in Acts chapter 8, the second half, we're going to see Philip continue to go and do ministry. We're going to see God's heart for people and how God desires people to know him. And, and the whole first kind of section of Acts here, we've seen mass evangelism. Hundreds of thousands of people coming to faith at once as proclamations happen in front of large crowds. And here, we're going to see evangelism happen one-on-one, -on -one, probably more so what it looks like for us today, right? And we're going to see God's heart for people, and then we're going to see that in three different movements. We'll see, as God's people, how we should be listening to the Spirit of God. We'll see how we should be proclaiming by the Spirit's power, and we'll finally see how there's joy in the Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So, read with me, verse 26 to 31. We're going to read that again. Um, at just how we, as God's people, should be listening to the Spirit. It says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go and join him in his go and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now Philip, right, who just left Samaria, who just proclaimed the gospel, hundreds of people come to faith in Samaria, has this interaction with Simon. He leaves and heads towards Gaza. And as he's heading that way, the Spirit kind of prompts him and tells him to go that way, right? Now, Gaza is a 125-mile walk for Philip. 125 miles. The Spirit of God tells him to go and to walk and to move. That's inconvenient. It's not easy, doesn't sound very fun to walk that long, but he's much holier than I, so he listens to the Spirit, and he goes to Gaza, and, and Gaza's actually even a Philistine town. If you remember the Philistines from the Old Testament, kind of Israel's enemies, most famous Philistine is 
Goliath. Yes, David and Goliath. Yes. So uh, the eunuch, right, is on the road off to the side, and we see Philip just continuing to go. He's listening to the Spirit. The Spirit goes, go to Gaza. So he says, okay, I'm going to walk 125 miles. And on the road, he sees this eunuch who appears to be well off. Luke, the author of Acts, makes a real big point to describe what the Ethiopian eunuch looks like, right? He's got money because he works directly for the queen of the Ethiopians. He's in charge of all of her treasure. And at first glance, it seems like he's got everything going for him. He's kind of set. He's well off. He's got enough finances to be able to travel all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship. This man is set. And we may think on the outside he appears well off and he appears like he's fine and he appears like everything's okay, but because we know the story, we know that there was something else that was corrupt in his heart, that he didn't know Christ, that he wasn't in a right relationship with God, and that might be how we feel today. As we see people in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, in our families, who seem like they have it all put together, who seem like they've got no financial issues, their, their family's doing well, they go to school, they're educated, and it seems like they don't need anything, and we think, yeah, they're, they're fine. They don't need Christ. I, even the Ethiopian eunuch, right, he's, he's a religious guy. He goes to worship. He travels all that way to go worship, and yet there's still something deep inside him that's broken churches we walk and as we see people in our lives we shouldn't just look towards the outward appearance and go yeah they seem like they're okay they've got it all put together on the outside but if they don't know christ their life is torn apart they're broken completely separated from god that is the biggest hope we have that people would know jesus himself so we shouldn't continue to just look at people from the outside appearance and believe that they're doing okay just because they're financially well off or they're set and they don't have any felt needs. But we should know that they have the greatest need in the hope of Christ that he offers to us and that he gives to us. But we see Philip continue to be prompted by the Spirit as now uh, first an angel goes to him, right? And he's like, hey, you should go to Gaza, and he listens and he goes. And then the Spirit speaks to him and says, hey, go talk to that man who's sitting in the chariot. And as we read those first couple verses, it may lead us to go, hold on, what just happened here? Let's slow up for a little bit. An angel appears and talks to him. How long did he stay? Did they like bro out for a little bit? Did they hang? I, I mean, if an angel just popped up in front of you guys, what would you, you'd probably be terrified, but you'd also probably want to ask some questions and hang out with him a little bit. If the spirit, did the spirit of God actually audibly speak to him? What does that mean? Does that happen today? What's that all look like? Those are all fun questions to wrestle with and to talk through, but the text doesn't tell us. Uh, but I think that that's also maybe a wrong question to ask or not the main point that the text is trying to expose to us. And what we should see is, man, are we listening to the Spirit like Philip is? Philip quiets himself enough to listen to what God is telling him to listen to the messenger that God has sent, to continue to point him forward on the mission that God has sent him on, right? Are we quieting our souls enough to hear God speak? As we send, spend time in our scriptures, as we spend time in prayer, intimately meeting with the Lord, are we actually listening? 
Are we just checking boxes? Are we sitting with him? Are we just trying to get our to-do list done? This is the question to wrestle with as Philip has this ordinary obedience about him. That the Lord speaks to him, gives him a message, and he knows that he's got to go to the ends of the earth preaching the gospel and sharing truth with those who he sees. This is ordinary obedience for Philip to listen to the Spirit of God, to go and fulfill the great commission that God says, go to the ends of the earth. And the really neat thing about this is in the Greek and Roman Empire, Ethiopia was considered the ends of the earth. So Philip is fulfilling the great commission by going to the Ethiopian man and he's continuing to go, I need to tell this guy about Jesus. I need to share this with him. He doesn't just like walk over to the chariot. Like the text says, he runs to the eunuch with urgency to continue to run towards the lost. Do we have an urgency as we listen to the Spirit of God to continue to go on God's mission with him? To preach Christ to others? To share the truth of Jesus with other people? There's an urgency in, in his quiet obedience. The Lord commands him to go, and he goes joyfully to continue to fulfill the great commission that the Lord has sent him on. And he kind of gets a softball, right? Like, let, let's just, like, dude's just kind of reading the scriptures in a chariot out loud. Come on, how much easier does it get than that? Uh, you know, at, when I was a senior in college, uh, my best friend, his name is Lance, he would take me to church with him. He would take me to the campus ministry with him. Uh, I'd go to Bible studies with him. We'd talk about Jesus together all the time. Uh, but I wasn't a Christian. I, I didn't understand that my sin had separated me from God. I thought I was a good person. I was kind of walking the walk and attempting to talk the talk, but I had never actually accepted the Lord as my Lord and Savior. I'd never realized that my sin separated me from God, and I'd never repented of it. And so when the Lord radically changed my life through asking Lance a softball question, I walked into the weight room one time shortly after graduating college, and he was in there, and I said, Dude, will you teach me how to read my Bible? Like, I've, I've got this thing, but I have no idea what to do with it. And he looked at me with complete joy, just ecstatic to be able to say, let's go. So he took me to the church in Crete that we'd been going to, and we sat down with a bunch of older men who just kind of roped us in and just shepherded us, cared for us, taught us how to study the scriptures, pointed us to Jesus, discipled us. It was one of the craziest, most beautiful things that I've ever experienced in my life. And God used that to radically transform my heart, to regenerate my soul and bring me to new life, to realize that Christ was king and that he was the, the whole point of my entire life. That there was a God who came to die to save sinful, broken people. And that's what changed my life. Now, there's not always going to be big old softball moments like there was for Philip and the eunuch or like there was for my buddy Lance in our lives where people were just sitting there or walk up to you and go, will you teach me how to read this? You know, like that's, that's not always going to happen. But my question for us to ponder on is, are we asking the Lord for moments like that to happen? 
Like, are we actually pleading with God to say, Lord, I just want a moment to be able to go take out my trash can and I pray that there would be able to, that I'd be able to see my neighbor and have a conversation with them. Lord, I'm going into work today and I just pray that you'd allow a conversation to glorify you in, to be able to share Christ. I, I'm going home for the weekend to go see family. Jesus, would you give me just an opportunity to just drop your name and hope that, the, that you would use it? Are, are we praying for these moments? I, I know there's times where I just don't even think about it. I see my family or my, my neighbors or friends who don't know Jesus, and I just go, yeah, they're doing okay on the outside. Just like the eunuch. But on the inside, they're still lost in their sin. Separated from God. Are we praying for these moments to actually happen because God's heart is for people? God desires to save more people. God desires to use us on his mission that he's sent us on. Are we seeking to go on God's mission so that he would save people? Or are we seeking to take God on our own mission to stay comfortable? Are we seeking to go on God's mission to save people? Or are we just trying to take God along on our own mission? God's heart is for people. And we should remember that we should listen to the Spirit of God as He prompts and as He moves in our everyday lives and go joyfully asking Him for moments to just wiggle the door open and see if someone's even desiring to have a beautiful conversation about Jesus. We should be asking the Lord to continue to move in our lives and to save the people who are in our lives, whether it's neighbors or family, co-workers, whoever it is. And sometimes we tend to view sharing the gospel as a burden, don't we? Like there's times where you go, I've got to share the gospel again. Like I, ha I have to say this. I've, I've been there. Now, if that's what you feel when you think of sharing Christ with others, sharing the good news, telling them about Jesus, man, we... You need to refrain from that thinking because it's not that you have to share truth with them. It's that you get to share truth with them. That's the beautiful part of it all. That God invites us as his adopted children into the mission. That he allows us to share good news with others. How, how beautiful is that? That we get to go alongside our father and to just tell people about him. That's amazing good news that we get to sit with him. We get to listen to him. That we get to ask of him. And he says, come with me. Do this with me. That's amazing news, that we get to proclaim God's truth to others. So as you go, as you beg the Lord to continue to have conversations with lost people in your life, as you continue to listen to the Spirit of God, quieting your soul to just spend time with him, and as he directs you to move and as you pray for conversations, what happens next? What, what do you do? What do you say when someone comes up to you and says, okay, let's talk. Let's go. Well, let's keep finding out. Uh, verse 32. 
Now the passage is now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He told him the good news about Jesus. Uh, So what does Philip do when the Ethiopian asks him, Hey, will you explain it to me? Well, he goes and he sits with him. He goes to the Ethiopian man and he says, yeah, let, let's talk about that. And he points him to Jesus. Philip points him to Christ. He spends time investing in this man's life. He could have kept walking. He's got 125 miles to go. He could have just said, yeah, that guy's got it. I'm going to keep going. Yet this interruption to his life was divine. Because he said, man, this guy needs to know about Jesus. So he sits down and he spends time with him. He invests in him. He points to the scriptures and says, man, let me tell you about my king. Because in Luke 24, we have the story of the road to Emmaus. After Jesus has died and resurrected, he appears to a couple of the disciples on the road. And as he walks with them and uh, he quickly reveals himself to them afterwards, he says, let me tell you how all of the scriptures point to me how all of Moses' writings and how all of the prophets all point to me. And so Jesus opens up the scriptures with them and describes all of that to them. The entire Bible points to Christ. As uh, the Ethiopian was reading Isaiah 53, right, the suffering servant who came and paved a way for all of us so that we could have eternal life, all of scripture points to Jesus, church. The Old Testament screams of the fulfillment of Christ. The Old Testament tells us of the promise of the Son to come to give us new life, the forgiveness of sin that we need to have eternal, beautiful grace with Jesus himself. The Bible Project says it this way. They say, we believe that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. It's all a unified story that points to Christ himself, that we get to study and read and go, oh my gosh, Jesus is all over this place. Because he is the fulfillment of scriptures. He is the fulfillment of promises that we get to have life everlasting with him. So Philip grabs him and he says, beginning with this scripture, he shares with him the good news, the gospel that Christ has come to save broken broken sinners. We carry the greatest tool when it comes to evangelism in our hands this morning. We carry the very scriptures that God has given to us to share with others what he's done, that all point to him. This is amazing news because when it comes to a point where we go, "Uh, it's time to have a conversation and someone's going and and you're kind of in the middle of it and maybe like adrenaline's rushing and you're like, I don't know what to say. Uh, Friends, we've got the scriptures in our hands. Got a Bible app you can pull up real fast. And you can share what the Lord is teaching you in your time in the Word. You can share how God's moving in your heart through the the time you spend studying in the Scriptures and what He's teaching you and refining you and how you see Jesus in the text. And you can point people to Christ through the beautiful promises that are in Scripture. 
And not only do we have God's word in our hands, we have God himself dwelling in our hearts, that the spirit of God has filled his people to dwell with them, to encourage them, to empower them, to give them boldness. And as we start thinking, man, I I don't know what to say, and it's not going to come out very uh, perfect, and it's going to be messy, and it's going to be ugly. Friends, you could have the worst gospel presentation in your life, and God could use it. Because you're not the one that does the saving. It's the Spirit of God that does the regenerating work in the heart, and He's the one that awakens the soul to come to know Him. We just have to be faithful to continue to share with people. To open up our scriptures and go, let me tell you about the suffering servant. To point to people and say, man, God is so cool. Let me share this quick story and tell of the promise of Christ and how he came to save sinners and how he came to give us everlasting joy and peace with him. He wants people to know about him. Are we joining him on his mission Are we trying to take him on our own mission? The Ethiopian eunuch, he's sitting on the chariot on the side of the road. He's reading the scriptures aloud because that's what they used to do is read the scriptures aloud. He's obviously a well-off man uh, and to the outside appearance, right? We cover this. He looks like he's totally fine. But there's something broken within him. This man is religious and he wants to go and he wants to worship God. He wants to go to the temple and be in God's presence And for him, it was probably five months, five months to get to Jerusalem. That's how long it probably took him to worship God. And by the time he got there, you know what happened? He wasn't let in. There was probably a sign on the door that said, no lame, no blind, and no eunuch may enter here. In Deuteronomy 23, we read that eunuchs aren't allowed into the presence of God. All that work of traveling for five months, all that work of probably getting to the point of being a court official, the treasurer of the queen, to the point to where he had to probably become a eunuch in order to get there, to get the finances, so he could probably travel to get to Israel, to Jerusalem, to be in God's presence, and not let in. Separated from God. And he desired to do all of that hard work, to go, I just want to meet God and be in his presence, to be stopped by a sign that said, no lame, no blind, no eunuch may enter here. Philip probably figured out that this man was a eunuch through his story. I'm I'm sure the man probably shared his life with him as they're sitting there studying the scriptures and as Philip's pointing him to Jesus. And my hope is that Philip probably took him a little further in the book of Isaiah because in Isaiah 56, we read the promise to the Ethiopian. We read the promise to the outsider that there will be a fulfillment, that God will come and that he will provide a Messiah to make a way for those who are broken, for those who are separated, for those who are not allowed into God's presence. And like the eunuch today, some of us, 
sometimes feel like we're separated from God, right? Sometimes we maybe feel like we've just done too much wrong and it, and it sounds like maybe God's not listening to us. We feel like we're separated from Him because He wants nothing to do with us or we, maybe we feel like we've just sinned so much that He wants nothing to do with us and so we're outside of His presence. But because of Christ, because the suffering servant paved a way, because Jesus came and took the cross for us, because the king died and rose on the third day, the broken one who feels like God is far off is no longer far off. The one who's hurting and messy feels like they're cut off from God, you're no longer cut off from God. The one who feels like you've just sinned too much, guess what? Jesus died for all of that sin. The adulterer who feels like they can't kick the habit, the addict who feels like they're completely stuck in their sin, the one who feels like they need to attain perfection in order to seek God and that he would let them in. No, Jesus died for all of that so that we could be with him. Jesus cares for people when he came and he died for the adulterers, for the cheaters, for the liar, the offended, the offender, the broken, the imperfect, the addict, all to make us whole with him through him, by his work, by his wounds, by his blood, we are saved. This is the good news. This is the truth, that we are not separated and far off from God. There is no sign that stands in our way because of what Jesus has done. This is the beautiful truth that Christ has come for each and every single one of us. And this is the good news that we get to share with other people who are lost, dead in their sin, broken apart from God, that we can tell them the good news of the suffering servant who came to die for them so that they can have everlasting life. To tell people of Jesus. And if you're sitting in this room and you haven't given your life over to Christ, and you haven't actually repented of your sin and turned to Him, I want to tell you that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There is nothing that is standing in your way from having everlasting life with Jesus Christ, that He came to die for your sin. There is no work that you can do that will make you right with God, but He did all the work for you. Would you turn to Jesus today? Would you see that beautiful truth and realize that there's nothing separating you from him, that he came for all the broken, all the messy people? Jesus didn't die for perfect people because we're not perfect. We're all messy. We're all broken. We've all got something. And yet he still came. In our uh, City Light family video, we said these words, and I couldn't think of a better way to say it. We said this. We said, the gospel is the hope for not only eternity, but also for today. It's for every broken marriage and for every divided community. It's for every forgotten factory worker and for every successful CEO, for every single mother and for every empty nester, for every refugee and for every PhD, for every right-winged Republican and for every liberal Democrat, for every college dropout and for every international scholar, for every person who feels like they've exhausted their last hope and for every person who feels like they're running after false hope. That's the good news that we have. That Christ came for us, the broken, the messy, the suffering servant who paved a way so that we could have everlasting life. This is the joy that we have. So what's next for us? What's next for the Ethiopian eunuch after he hears the good news of Christ proclaimed to him by Philip? Let's keep reading to see. Verse 36. 
And as they were going along the road, they came into some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Astos, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So as they go on the road and as they ride together, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, he goes, oh my gosh, there's water. What's keeping me from being baptized? Absolutely nothing. Nothing stands in the way of baptism. Nothing stands in the way of celebrating what God has done in his life. And so Philip points to him and it says, there's nothing. We've already covered it. It's not about our work. It's not about cleaning ourselves up. It's not about making ourselves right. It's not about being in a good spot with God. So then we're baptized. No, we're baptized after faith. We see it time and time again in the book of Acts, how people are baptized through water baptism over and over again after they come to faith in Jesus. When they realize that they are sinful people, broken, separated from God, and they realize that they need to repent of their sin, turn to Christ, and they do. They're baptized into the family of God. Baptism isn't what saves people. It's just the celebration of what Jesus has done. And so here we see the wonderful story that the eunuch sees the water and he says, what's keeping me from being baptized? And Philip says, there's nothing. There's nothing keeping you from being baptized. So if you're in the room today and you haven't been baptized, have you asked yourself the question, what's keeping me from being baptized? If you've trusted in Jesus and since you trusted in Christ, since you made the personal decision to walk with Jesus, What's keeping you from being baptized? Maybe uh, it's something like, oh, well, I came to faith when I was like six and I'm 40. It's just been too long. No, it hasn't. Oh my gosh. I just, I feel like I'm in a bad spot with God. He died for your sin. Let's rejoice and celebrate in that. Friends, there is nothing There is nothing keeping you from being baptized. Nothing to celebrate and rejoice what Christ has done. Don't let yourself get in the way of celebrating with everyone around you what Jesus has done in your life as he's regenerated your soul, as he's made you new and transformed your heart. Let's rejoice. You don't have to wait till our next baptism gathering. We'll do it next week. We'll put the tank up here. We'll figure it out. Tell somebody. I'm ready to go. We can do it after the gathering. We got the tank back there, I think. Right, fellas? We're good? We're ready to go. Tell somebody, if you've trusted in Christ and you've never been baptized, let's celebrate. Let's rejoice. Let's hoop and holler. That's why we go crazy, because there's another brother and sister in the faith who has come to know their king. Like, that's worthy of celebration. God has done something crazy cool in somebody's life. We get to rejoice. That's why we go wild. That's why we hoop and holler. That's why we stand on the chairs and get crazy because God did something that we can't do. He is worthy of celebration. Let's continue to worship Him and celebrate Him over and over again as He saves sinful, broken, lost, messy people as He adopts them into the family. And, and as soon as the baptism's done, 
we get this crazy weird thing where uh, Philip is just kind of snatched out of thin air and appears somebody else. Um, I don't know what, what's up with that, just to be honest with you. I don't think anybody knows what's up with that. just kind of happens. God just kind of miraculously transports him to Aztos. I don't know. Uh, but what I do know is that he continues to share the gospel. Wherever the Lord leads him, he keeps going. And he goes, more people need to hear of Jesus. And he continues to share truth. And in the eunuch, it doesn't even seem like he realizes that Philip's gone. Like he's just so pumped and so excited for what God's done in his life that he just keeps going too. It's crazy. And so my encouragement that I get out of this, that I see the story is a mix of both of them, right? That there's the joy that the Ethiopian eunuch has from his salvation in Christ. And then there's uh, the missional heart that Philip has to continue to preach that good news. And it, it kind of convicts me to remind myself, man, the joy that I have in Christ the joy that's in my heart, when I start to remember what Jesus has done for me, it gives me so much joy because I don't deserve it. I, I didn't earn my salvation. I didn't work for it. I did nothing, and yet Jesus still gave it to me. And that joy, what stirs up in my heart, and when I realize what Christ has done for me, it excites me to tell other people about him because I want them to experience that same joy I want them to know the hope of the gospel, the good news that Christ has come for them too and there is nothing standing in their way. That Jesus is relentlessly running after them. That they would come to faith in him. It's remembering the joy that I have that sends me to keep preaching Christ, that continue to share the Lord with other people. That's what excites me to go. That's my encouragement for us right? As you go, as you leave here, as you go have lunch with family, as you see some people, remember the joy that's in your heart. Remember the hope, the good news that you have, that because of Jesus, you have everlasting life. Ask the Lord that that hope, that joy would stir you to continue to share Christ with others, to continue to go beyond the mission that God has sent us on, to remember that we didn't do anything, we didn't earn it, yet Jesus still joyfully did it for us, and so we go. Because just like the Lord put the eunuch in the path of Philip, right, just how the Lord just kind of randomly had this softball occasion for him to share Christ with others, God has placed people in your life, in your family, at work, at school, in your neighborhood, all around you. who are just hanging out right there. And the Lord's placed them in front of you to share Jesus with them. There's a story of a, uh, a pastor who would take out his trash all, like once a week, right? And his neighbor would always take it out at the same time. And so he started having short chit-chat with him over and over again as they took out the trash and as they'd see each other in the driveway getting mail, whatever it was. And so they built a friendship and he invited him into his home and he led him to the Lord. Then his whole family came to know Jesus. Church, there's people all around us that just the small moments that we're able to just quiet our souls and listen to the Lord 
to just go have conversation, to get to know them, to let them interrupt our time, to sit with them and tell them of Jesus, to invite our neighbors over for dinner. Anybody walked up to their neighbor's house and just knocked and said, hey, you want to come over? My neighbors convict me because they do that more than I do. In fact, here's maybe a small application that you can take away and go with. Uh, and I didn't do this. My neighbors did, so you can see how missional they are. Um, but they invited us for Halloween with uh, just distancing and how everything is right now that, hey, let's just do a bonfire in our driveway and let's just hang out together. And then we can have a table of candy for the kids that come by trick-or-treating. Hopefully it's not freezing. Just a small application moment to just hang out with your neighbors, to invite them to a little bonfire and dinner as you hand out candy to the neighborhood kids. How simple is that? And yet the Lord uses those moments, those moments to change lives. God wants to use us on his mission. He wants us to, take, to continue to go forward with the gospel so that he would save people. Are we going on God's mission or are we trying to take them on our own? I'm going to invite the band back up because we're going to take communion. But as we take communion together, I want us to remember the beautiful truth of why we take communion. Because of what Christ has done for us. To remember his, his body broken and his blood shed. And that's the joy and the hope and the good news that we have. Let's take of it together as a family. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this family that we have. I thank you for all of these people who are in their homes or here with us today who heard good news today. Lord, I pray that the good news of your gospel, the good news that you came down for us, that you paved a way not by our works, but by yours. That that would fill us with joy. That the good news would be our great hope. Jesus, I pray that as we go day by day, that your spirit would move and that we would quiet our souls enough to listen. That we would obediently listen and go continuing to proclaim the good news of what you've done so that you might save more people. I pray that we would always remember the joy that's in our hearts that you've stirred up. Jesus, would you use us on your mission? Would you change Lincoln because of the joy that you've given to us to share with others? It's in your beautiful name. Amen.